Hello, everyone. This is Asbet Bedrosian. And this is Hovik Manucharyan. And we are doing a daily touch base with Gev Iskajian on the latest conditions during the Artsakh blockade. Gev is with the ANC in Artsakh, nagorno karabakh and he lives in Stepanagerd. Today is January 20th, 2023. Hey, Gev, how are you doing today? Good evening, Gev. I'm doing well. Hope you guys are good. Yeah, good to hear your voice. Can you update us on what has transpired in the last 24 hours since we last talked? Yeah, so luckily we have some good news. The gas is back on, at least in Stepanakit. I can confirm that because I see it working now, though it took a few hours to come into effect. I know there are reports that, you know, in some other places it's not still fully up. I think in the next couple of days, we'll see the full extent of the gas being brought back, if, if that's the case, in terms of, and our indicators are, do the schools open? Are all the houses, including in the villages, up and running as well? Yeah, and just to add to that, you know, I think it's pretty diabolical, if true, that Azerbaijan is basically turned on the gas valve, but only halfway just enough to ease some tension and some international pressure, but still not enough to power all the regions. So it remains to be seen, obviously. But from the reports that we're getting, you know, it seems like this, the, the pressure is not uh, the full pressure that it was before. So do we know if Marduni and Mardagird have gas at this point? Uh, as of now, uh, I'm not sure. And tomorrow I'll give you guys an update with that because um, as some people may know, when they turn it on, it doesn't fully supply everyone right away. Mm-hmm. For example, it took me like five hours to receive it after the news initially broke. Okay. And I'm in Stepanakert. Okay. So are you aware if bakeries have started baking again? Is bread available to the population? So tonight, some of them were open. Some that I saw were closed. So that's a good sign. Okay, that is a good sign. So, Gev, um, we have a couple of questions from our listeners, and I want to pass it on. It's a good thing that our listeners are actively involved. Question one is, do the people of Artsakh feel if they have been abandoned by the Armenian government? And uh, are they aware that the diaspora is very closely following what's going on in Artsakh? So, you know, for the first part, I think it's important to lay down context. I think that feeling of abandonment didn't arise with the blockade. That's been a process since the 2020 war and beyond. When we're talking about troops pulling out, when we're talking about various statements made by the leadership of the Armenian government, unfortunately, that feeling has been there. In terms of support from the diaspora, look, they always want more, especially in a dire situation like this. But at the same time, I can tell you, I speak to a lot of the diaspora orcs here, especially with the government here that tries to coordinate some of that humanitarian aid relief. The problem we have is that a lot of these orgs are ready, willing, activated in the process of, of doing what they can. Uh, but unfortunately, so much of that is hindered because let's say folks are ready to bring in trucks of supplies and goods. That still gets cut off at the border. Mm-hmm. So there is this feeling of helplessness even when there is an activation in the diaspora. Okay. The second question is, does the Office of the High Commissioner for Diaspora Affairs have a rep in Artsakh? And what are they doing to help the Artsakh Armenians if they have an office? So to be very frank and honest about that answer, that's something I'm not aware of. I haven't in, in my capacity interacted with them, uh, nor seen you know some of their activities. So I can't fully comment on that, but on the visceral surface level, I haven't seen that. 
You know, this is actually a very interesting question. I hadn't thought about it because if the current government's position is that Artsakh is part of Azerbaijan, which is the feeling that I've gotten from everything that the Pashinyan government has done, then they would be considering the Artsakh Armenians as a part of the Armenian diaspora. So this would fall under the high commissioner's Mm -hmm. office. Well, um, I should also mention, because we talked about this in our last podcast, because at the Diaspora Armenia Summit, or whatever it was called, we should remember that the topic of Artsakh was scrubbed from the agenda. So it was on their agenda, but it was then later scrubbed and removed. So it's pretty, um, you know, I'd be pretty surprised, but uh, I was hoping to be surprised that they have some kind of activity mm-hmm. in Artsakh. Yeah. Any other topics? I mean, the only other topic that I want to mention, and I want to get uh, give your opinion on this, what do you think about the international media coverage of Artsakh? Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe I still see like sometimes some headlines where the word protester is used without any qualification or quotes. And this implies like this fake uh, narrative that this, uh, there are some eco-protesters and they're doing this for ecology. And there is a recent article in EU Observer, in case people are interested, uh, titled EU Spin Campaign Blows Up in Azerbaijan's Face where they actually hired a lobbying firm or a PR firm in London, or uh, I believe in the UK, to convince an Australian-based, highly acclaimed professor of ecology and to sign a statement, basically in support of the protesters. And that was almost printed by, I believe, it was pitched to the EU Observer and it was pitched to the US uh, Journal. And uh, finally, like the professor caught wind of it and retracted his signature. But what do, you, how, what do you think about the coverage recently? So, look, I can say this. There's good and there's bad. The good is that it, through the outlets like the, that we interact with, through the interviews that I've seen, whether it's papers from the UK outlets in the US, I even saw a TV piece from Australia, Sky Media, which is one of their biggest outlets. They are all, the light that they're shedding on the issue comes mostly from the right perspective. So they're saying it's a humanitarian crisis. They're saying that it's pressure being exerted from Azerbaijan. So on the diaspora and worldwide level, there's work being done. And I, I, I can categorize the vast majority of the coverage as good, right? The negative or the difficulty that we have is that this blockade has not only stopped supplies from coming in, but we have a complete lack of foreign journalists and access for them to come and see the situation. We're very open to them seeing what's going on here in the stores, in the schools, how it affects every layer of society, right? And in fact, we, we'd be hoping to them to go and see that these protesters are throwing up gray wolf signs, doing these like hyper-nationalistic chants and blah, 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 completely diverting from their quote-unquote purpose. So we, we haven't seen that access. And even the situation with the Australian professor, the good thing is, look, these... Uh, the Azerbaijani government has a ton of money to burn and spend on PR firms and stuff like this. But the good thing is, once these folks catch wind of the fact that they're being duped, like you stated, they'll retract their statement. So even if they have this momentary success with one guy who doesn't fully read into what he's like signing on to, they still end up being retracted. Right. All right. Let me mention to our listeners, if you have any questions you want us to ask our guests, please send it to us on Twitter, on Facebook or YouTube and we'll be happy to take it up. Thanks for talking with us, Gev. Let's talk again tomorrow. Sounds good. Good to be on. Thank you. Good night. Good night.